0: Become a writer from someplace other than Los Angeles and New York,
1: I still think that's really difficult.
0: Welcome to Entertainment Business Wisdom with your host, Kaya Alexander. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am Kaya Alexander, host of the Entertainment Business Wisdom podcast here today with my special guest, the amazing Kelly Krauss. Kelly is an archaeologist turned screenwriter producer via burlesque. Specializing in atmospheric genre grounded in history and the supernatural, her scripts have placed highly in page, screencraft, roadmap writers, Wii screenplay, and table read my screenplay. Kelly is the co-founder of Nick's Horror Collective, a co-producer for Micro Short Film Festival, 13 Minutes of Horror, which streams on Shudder, and a co-founder of the Stowe Story Labs Nick's Horror Collective Fellowship, which benefits a woman horror screenwriter aged 40 and above. She is also a practicing witch and isn't afraid to use her powers for good. Now into her fourth decade, Kelly's journey has taught her to never wait for permission to create and that women are never too old to reinvent themselves. Kelly, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here, Kaya. This is great. I'm so thrilled that you're here. And I I love, I just love everything about your bio so much. (laughs) You're fascinating. You are a fascinating (laughs) woman. You've gone from uh, archaeology, you were in Egypt, right? You were doing Egyptian Yes,
1: I, I lived in Egypt for the better part of five years. I was based out of Cairo um, and uh, co-directed a media consultancy for a time out of there where we were working with clients like Discovery Channel, History Channel, Nat Geo, um so yeah, it was it was an absolutely life-changing uh period of my life. I had so many wonderful opportunities. I actually met my husband while I was there. So
0: <laughs> there's a love story too. Oh, tell us more about that. <laughs> more
1: about that? Oh goodness. Um <laughs> let me see if I can do this quickly. Uh I, I love our story Firstly, I'm a huge, huge fan of our story. Um, so The first time I actually saw him um, was at a party uh, at a rooftop bar in downtown Cairo known as the Odeon. Um, And um, a friend of mine uh, had planned it and hosted it to welcome his friend to Egypt. His friend had just moved to Egypt from the States. And so my flatmate and I at the time decided, you know, we would go and and we would welcome um, Luke, uh, that was his name, and wish him a happy birthday. It was it was a birthday party for him as well. And you know, we were there until about two or three in the morning. And then, as I was leaving, that's when the first time when I actually saw my husband and we made eye contact. And a little voice inside my head just said, "I'm going to see that guy again. So it's okay. I can go home and go to bed. It's fine." And literally, four days later, um, you know, our, our little group of friends um, decide that we're going to go do karaoke. Karaoke is very popular, <laughs> as it turns out, in Cairo. Oh my
0: god, who knew? I know. Uh,
1: so we go to uh, Harry's Pub, which is a bar in the Marriott in, in Zemelec. And Zamelik is an island in the middle of the Nile in Cairo. <laughs> Just so you know, I lived there for a time as well. Um, And I walk into the karaoke bar and the first person I see is this guy (laughs) from the other night and come to find out that, um, he is the roommate to Luke, the bloke who just moved to Cairo and who, you know, the party was thrown for the other night. And I decide now's the time I got to start talking to him. So we start talking and, um, We all end up leaving the bar together. We close down the bar. Our group is the last to leave at 2 (laughs) a.m. And half of us go one way, half of us go another way. But not before, you know, we exchange numbers and all that. And about, you know, four hours later, so it's now like 6 a.m. in the morning or so, we all reconvene at a friend's place. Um, And we had our first kiss then. And we found out that we lived literally blocks away from each other. So So we shared a taxi ride back. Um, and we have a We essentially saw each other every day after that, more or less. So on our one-month anniversary of meeting, we decided we were going to move to New York together. So we bought our tickets, and then on our three-month anniversary, we flew out to New York.
0: <laughs> <That> <laughs> is incredible! Away. You've just blown up the the our family myth that nothing good happens between midnight and uh, dawn. But that <laughs> you're that you're pra- we're practicing witches, so we can say that there's. <laughs> There can be good things. There can even be love that happens. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so we're, you're in Cairo, and you're working in media, but you're also in uh, the world of archaeology. What There's so many thousands of years in Egypt with all the different uh, eras of the um, Nile and the pharaohs. Which was yours? Oh, my gosh. Um, I
1: love the Old Kingdom and the New Kingdom. Those are my two favorite eras. Isn't there like um, a I big rip,
0: wasn't there a big gap between Old Kingdom and New Kingdom? Oh, like, sure. You have,
1: you have the first intermediate period following the Old Kingdom. Then you have the Middle Kingdom. And then you have the second intermediate period following the Middle Kingdom. And then you have the New Kingdom. And then the third intermediate period. And then the late period. And then... <laughs> Oh my god! I'm here for the
0: Egyptology lesson. I, I love it. That's just amazing. So, you, I mean, you did you move to Cairo uh, on your own? Was that how was this? I know you uh, were schooled in London. So, how is this vision coming about for you?
1: Yeah. Um, so, I actually did a study abroad, um, that, and that was my first year, full year in Cairo. Um, and so, I did fly out on my own. And um, this was about a year after. 9-11. So my mother was absolutely terrified, <laughs> really didn't want me to go. Um, very few people w- were supportive. Actually, there were um, about only, um, so, yeah, there were literally three people who were supportive in my decision to move out there and do a study abroad at that time. Everybody else genuinely believed that I was going to be killed. Um, and, you know, one of those three was my dad um, who was always my biggest champion when I was growing up. and then the other one was one of my advisors at university um, at Boston University. Um, and this is a, this is Paul Zamansky, and I don't expect anybody to know who Paul Zamansky is, but he's very, very big in the archaeological world and especially um, in Mesopotamian archaeology. and this is a man who was working in Iraq during the Persian Gulf War. <laughs> I should tell you something about him and why he was so gung ho for me to go to Egypt. Um, and then uh, a friend of mine at university, and that was it. That was it. And so it, it felt a little lonely, to be honest. That um, nobody was particularly excited. But I, I flew out there on my own. How's your Arabic? It was it was brilliant. Sorry.
0: How's your Arabic?
1: Now, now it's pretty decent. I I didn't. I I only knew a few words. Um, you know that I made the effort to learn before I flew out. But otherwise, I picked it up there. And um, I, I honestly believe that is the best way to do it, um, because y- y- your accent is so much better when you learn it there. And so just um, a couple of examples. Uh, one of my friends um, that I met when I was living there in that first year is Egyptian-American. Um, So her father is Egyptian, her mother mother was American, she was born and raised in D.C., but she still grew up speaking the language, but not in Egypt, in the States. And um, there were incidents where she and I would be out and people would have difficulty understanding what she was saying, understanding her accent, but not mine, because I learned it in Cairo, and um, whenever I traveled outside of Cairo, you know, to say Luxor or um, you know to Siba or up to Alexandria, and I spoke Arabic, I would get I would get these looks. And People would say, "You are from Cairo." Oh, uh-huh. the Cairo accent.
0: Like, <laughs> so even my accent was specific to Cairo. So that is it. That's exquisite. Okay, <laughs> so you're there. You're studying archaeology. You decide to stay, and because you're there for years.
1: Um, I flew back and finished my degree, and um, then took a year off and flew back, <laughs> then started my master's in London, and then um, in the middle of my master's, flew back um, You know, to, as part of my master's degree, because you know, I was doing on-the-ground research, um, and then uh, came back, finished my degree, and then moved back again, <laughs> and was there for another year or two. Um, and that's when I, uh, you know, co-directed that media consultancy, Past Preservers, which is still up and running. It's an amazing company. Um, my friend and former partner, Nigel Heatherington, has just done wonders with it, and I encourage everybody to check it out, especially if you are writing period pieces. They have a lot of great projects under their belt, and who knows, could potentially help
0: in some way with your period piece. Fascinating. Well, <laughs> I have a period piece about Alexandria based on my novel. Oh well, there you go. <laughs> I have to call them. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote about the burning of the Great Library of Alexandria. I don't know if we've talked about that very much, but uh, that was my my five-year uh, period of history about which I'm a, a resident expert.
1: <laughs> That's excellent. Yeah, well, see, I mean, you could probably give me a lesson or two up on that. Oh, uh, well, just, it's period I mean, is not it's, my not even, <laughs> you know,
0: it's not even Egyptian because it was the Greek city, right? So it's those five years, uh, 410, 415 CE. I mean, we're thousands of years away from what you were studying. <laughs>
1: I mean I I did, I did study the Ptolemaic the, oh my god I can't speak excuse me the Ptolemaic period and and the Roman period I did I did study both of those oh, but you they did? There, I, they I'm fascinated like,
0: hey, by the favorites. the Ptolemaic era is just it's so fascinating we're going to go down this rabbit hole for a second cuz I'm passionate okay. so about it you know here's Ptolemy with this amazing vision after Alexander the Great dies he's like okay well I've got to take Alexander's corpse back to Alexandria and create a religion so he creates Serapis, this you know combination of the bull god Apis and the god Seth, creates a whole new religion and then a law in the city of Alexandria that. Um, they're, they're building the library. And anyone who's bringing in documents, maps, codexes, which are books of any kind, those are confiscated by the Alexandrian police. And then they're copied. And the copies are returned to the original owners. And they keep all the originals. So they start amassing you know, the greatest library uh, of the ancient world over 700 years. Fascinating. Well, and, and,
1: and fun little fact, um, the second largest library in the world today, second only to the Vatican, is also in Egypt. <laughs> is, it, is it the new
0: Alexandrian library?
1: No, no. Uh, oh, it it's in is in, Car- is in Car- it, it, it No, it's in Sinai, actually. Um, it is, oh, it's in yeah, Sinai. that's, that's it's at a monastery. Story. It is at a monastery, yeah. So um...
0: <laughs> one of those and monasteries in Sinai where the women a, aren't allowed to go, I bet. A fantastic collection of
1: Ancient documents, in particular, fantastic collection of ancient documents that again is second only to the Vatican. Um, and um, I, I believe uh, women are allowed to go, um, mm. certainly, certainly at least visit the monasteries. Um, I, I certainly have visited several Coptic monasteries in Egypt in, in my time, um, and that that's also a fascinating period and fascinating history as well. Um, the the Coptic era of Egypt, and you know, I think many people tend to assume that. Uh, if there is a Christian population in the MENA region, that's Middle East, North Africa, then it's going to be in, in Jerusalem or something like that. But no, I
0: thought l- it was, I was thinking Timbuktu, actually, because yeah. there's all those stories about the
1: libraries there. L- largest Christian population in North Africa and Middle East is in Egypt. Um, and it's one of the earliest uh, Christian sects as well, the Coptic sect.
0: Yeah, it's so fascinating. So tell us more about your your discovery of media, because now television and film and everything that you're so passionate about with what you're doing now, how does this come to you? How do you get involved?
1: Oh, boy, Uh, Um, (laughs) there there was no set path, to be honest. And I'm I'm sure a lot of people like, oh, my gosh, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. I I knew that I had uh, wanted a change. I was ready for a change. I, I had done about 14 years or so in, in the archaeological sector and um, still enjoyed it to a degree, but it wasn't as rewarding as it had been um, during my earlier years. Uh, but I honestly wasn't sure what I was going to do. I, I had gotten very interested in um, learning more about diversity and inclusion. And for a very long time, I thought that was something that I was going to be working in and and you know, potentially at the corporate level. And that ended up not being the case. Ah. (laughs) Thank you. Um, But uh, what I had taken up um, in my spare time was burlesque. And I I just absolutely loved it. And I, I think that everybody, I don't care how you identify, I don't care what your background is, everybody should take a burlesque class because it is life-changing in so many ways, not just how you look at your body, how you feel in your body, but just how you express yourself, how you compose yourself, how how you present yourself. Um, and then just the creativity side of it as well, I, I think is unparalleled. I, I can't I I generally can't think of any other medium where you are a performer, the director, the choreographer, the hair and makeup artist, the costumer, et cetera, all in one. And you have to learn about all of that. Um,
0: What an interesting immersion into, you know, discovering the world of TV and film. I don't know if you know this about me, but I used to direct uh, California's largest touring magic show that's based in the Bay Area. The Magic. The Magic Bazaar. Yeah, so I was
1: belly
0: belly dancing for 20 years, and I was in and out of those boxes, right? That was the box jumping illusion girl, which I hated. I couldn't (laughs) wait to get off stage, and I was so happy by the time I was directing. I was like, yes, I belong in the dark, (laughs) helping those on stage.
1: (laughs) The stage manager, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't discount the stage managers. They do, a lot.
0: <laughs> they do well, for, a lot. For magic, you really have to have somebody in the audience because of the, you don't want to flash. You, know? you don't want to reveal the hmm. illusion, especially with the big illusions, angles or everything.
1: That makes sense. That absolutely makes sense. Um, but yeah, I what, what I ended up doing was writing a short play for one of my burlesque acts. And that's honestly what led me into screenwriting, because I I, I performed that with a friend of mine from the burlesque community, and I was very surprised at how well received it was by my fellow performers and audience members. There were people who were coming up to me after the show or reaching out to me after the show in some capacity, asking me, you know, was it from a movie? Was it from a book or a play? You know, they wanted to read it. They wanted to watch it. I was like, "Mm mm-hmm. That's all there is. I'm sorry, because I wrote it and
0: it's (laughs) 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 What a cool response. Yeah, it
1: was it it was not. I don't know, I I just didn't anticipate that at at all. I just I just wanted to have fun and and do my little homage to the Grand Guignol, because that's that's what the act was. So for those who don't know, the Grand Guignol um, was a theater of naturalistic horror in Paris. It was founded in 1897. And um, genuinely, many of the things that we that we eventually would see in horror cinema would not exist without the Grand Guignol. Um, it, it was a very, very innovative space in a lot of ways, um, as far as you know, uh, practical effects, lighting, um, even storytelling. It, it was very much focused on social horror, not gothic horror, um, which is what most tend to think of when, when we think of you know the. Turn of the century, the late the late nineteenth century, especially eighteen ninety seven. You know that that's the same year that Dracula was published, and how gothic can you get? Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, the Grand Guignol was pulling from newspapers and police reports and coroners' reports and was writing stories around murders and all, all these and rapes and all these terrible things, but with with heavy heavy commentary on misogyny and classism and racism, and so it was very much ahead of its time. Um. But uh, yeah, that, that, that was my act, was my little homage to that. And um, I, I was encouraged by a, a couple of my friends in the burlesque community to keep writing and thought about it for a little bit and realized I had a lot of fun writing that script. I had a lot of fun writing that script and um, really loved the format of playwriting, but wanted something that could potentially reach a, a wider audience. And so that just, you know, screenwriting seemed the natural thing in that case. And so that's what I took up. <laughs>
0: So you're the Diane the witch of uh, horror now in space. <laughs> and I want to hear more about what you're doing now.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, um, so a couple of things. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll save my favorite thing for last. Um, but um, uh, Kaya, as you mentioned at the top, I am a co-founder of Nix Horror Collective. Um, we have our own micro short film festival, 13 Minutes of Horror. Last year, 2021, was our inaugural year. And so we are um, gearing up for a year or two. Our submission window just opened, and so we are um, getting things underway. And there's a lot of planning and prep for that. Um, and we're very, very fortunate to work with Shutter um, as our official streaming partner. And so it's a very exciting opportunity for women and non-binary horror filmmakers in particular to actually have their work seen and and seen on a streaming giant like Shutter. So um, we, we're so proud of that. And then. Um, as far as a personal project goes, I'm in prep on my own short film, my very first film, period, <laughs> which is also a horror film. Big surprise, I'm sure. Um, But it's very, very exciting. It's also very scary and nerve wracking. <laughs> you know, there's like a lot scary
0: of... behind and in front of the camera.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I just, I, I don't know. I, I think um, you know, we we could definitely put pressure on ourselves to, quote unquote, get it right um, the first time, even though it is the first time. And we should give ourselves grace and patience and and all of that. And so I, I am just trying to calm down. And I um, am in the process of lining up my crew. I have a couple more positions to fill. But most everybody is on board. And it's, it's just it's such an amazing team. Like, I am so thrilled about this team that I have been building. Um, So at at this point, it's all women. I'm not going to say that the entire team is going to be all women. But right now, we're 86% women, which is um, just like phenomenal. And these women just have amazing, amazing backgrounds, amazing backgrounds. And, you know, the projects that they've worked on and li- like some big stuff that um, everybody will be familiar with. And so I'm looking forward to sharing more about them and, and you know, their work and their projects as we get closer um, to launching our crowdfunding campaign. But and I've just been so, so touched that these fantastic women want to work on my Frenky Dink, little short films. So. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> Let's
0: not downplay it. I mean, that's huge. To get anything done in this industry is huge. It takes uh, it takes a lot of partners and believing to make things happen. What can you tell us about anything about the story or how the idea came to you? A, a bit, yes. Um. So, really,
1: all I wanted to do was to get something of mine out into the world. Um. You know, I think especially as screenwriters, we can spend our lives just waiting, right? Waiting for the opportunity, waiting for somebody to say yes and, and, and say that, oh, I love this project. Let's produce it. And I'm I'm tired of waiting. I'm tired of waiting. <laughs> I'm not getting any younger. And that was really the impetus. And, and you know, so what what can I feasibly get out? And, and for me, that was a short film. And I literally sat down and made a list of all the resources that were available to me um, that I had ready access to. um, Before I even started writing a script or thinking about a concept, I made that list. And that list included. My husband, (laughs) (laughs) Um, my my next door neighbor and friend um, who is very, very handy uh, and uh, is actually coming on board as our set decorator, (laughs) Um, the basement in the building that we live in, um, and a couple of other people uh, who are part of the uh, San Francisco film community that um, I have a rapport with. And um, the basement was really the kicker, and uh, I, I don't have any um, images or anything like that to share with anybody—not that anybody could see it. This is a podcast,
0: but one vision in the basement.
1: Yes, but it is an especially creepy basement. <laughs> the building okay. that we begin in is 110 years old, um, and it shows. In, in the basement it has a lot of character, a lot of great patina. Um, there's also, uh, an elevator, uh, in the building that is original to the building. So also 110 years old, still working equally creepy, like the basement. And so I, I decided I was going to write the script around the basement. Um, and I have ready access to it. Um, I, I don't, you know, have to pay a, a rental fee or permit fee or anything like that. Um, you know, the, the biggest, um, Obstacle is just filming during quote unquote off hours, since this is a communal space that's shared by residents in our building. Um, but yeah, that that is what kind of inspired the concept. Um, and, you know, just really thinking about what is actually down there. Um, and then that sort of kick started uh, thoughts around um, my brother and my friend um, who lost their. Partner and spouse, respectively, to cancer, and um, you know, watching them go through the grieving process, uh, watching them still going through it. To be honest, in a lot of ways, even though it's been um, at least five years now at this point, um, where they each lost their loved one, and you know, the 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 more specific process of trying to part with the things of their loved one. And, you know, not, not the things that I am, you know, everybody undoubtedly holds on to, you know, a, a special memento from a shared experience that you had together, but th- things like their makeup, you know, things like um, that blouse that's 10 years old and has a stain on it. And, you know, uh, just, you um, I wanted to use that as an exploration of how grief can hold on to us, even when we want to move on, when we desperately want to move on, but it still won't let us go. Oh, um, absolutely. And oh, so, okay. the title yeah. of the film is called "Storage" and centers on a storage room in the basement.
0: Wow! I have chills. <laughs> 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 Yay! that's okay. exactly what i want <laughs> so it's so relatable and it's such a core piece of our of our human experience you know i remember after gary shandling died in the grief that i went through a couple different layers of because he passed and then it was a couple years before judd apatow released his um uh, his wonderful docu-series on HBO called The Zen Diaries of Gary Shandling. And I had known Gary's Zen side from our time together, conversations about his spiritual life, meditation, or his jokes about uh, about all of that that. He could find humor in anything because he was who he was. But the like, it was almost like sailing a ship through an archipelago of grief. You just don't know when you're going to hit the next, you know, sandbar. It's like, I, I would be totally fine... In my house for a day and be like, "Okay, great. great. I'm gonna go to the supermarket." And I'd like walk into the supermarket and burst into tears out of nowhere. And Mm -hmm. you just you you feel haunted um, by by those feelings. Uh, This is really interesting what you're exploring. I can't wait to see it. Yay! Uh, So cool. (laughs) Tell tell us about next horror. Yeah. Um, so,
1: okay. Let me see. I have, to, I have to try to make this quick too. <laughs> this is also a bit of a story. I can talk um, to you forever. We're going to
0: spend all day doing this. <laughs>
1: yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with that. I'm having a great time. Um, so, Nick's horror uh, actually evolved, funnily enough, out of a hashtag. <laughs>
0: um, it was a hashtag. that is incredible. That may be the most positive thing to ever evolve out of a hashtag. <laughs>
1: yay! Oh, oh that's. That's wonderful to hear. That's one I, I will share that with my teammates. <laughs> um, but it was a hashtag that I started um, in October of 2019, and it was hashtag Hallow Women. Um, and so what I was doing was highlighting a woman in the heart space every day throughout the month of October, um, which of course you know is spooky month, Halloween month, and so hence Hallow Women. Um, hopefully, it made sense. <laughs> it, does, it does. I love it. But um, uh, one of those women that I highlighted, uh, Melody Cooper, whom I'm sure some of you are familiar with, and she's um, doing fantastic work in television, and she just, um, you know, got signed to uh, produce her very first feature for Netflix. So she's um, well on her way to being a powerhouse in the industry and in the horror space in particular. Oh, incredible. Um, but she reached out to me uh, at the end of the month um, slash beginning of November and, you know, just to say how much she appreciated that and um, asked if we could somehow work together to, to bring all these women together that had been highlighted. And, you know, initially um, it and, and some people weren't interested and that was fine. But but, you know, a, a good a good deal were. And initially it was just kind of um, talking about each other's projects, trying to identify like how we could help each other? Like, like, did we know some crew? Could somebody, you know, perhaps do a line budget um, for another person's short film or something like that? Um, and then, of course, the pandemic
0: hit. Ah, um, off there, right? In, yeah, in late and there projects went on hold, um, and um, Melody,
1: you know, uh, called me one day and, and, and said that, oh, like, this is, um, so frustrating. Like, I feel like we need to create something though. Um, like, like, what could we do? Like, what, what about a podcast? And, and I said, yeah, I, th- I, think, if, I think that's absolutely feasible because uh, at least it's something that we could produce ourselves. And so we put that forward to the group. Um, and, uh, you know, e- everybody contributed ideas uh, for a concept, which was fantastic. And that was really fun just bouncing ideas off of each other and starting to develop. A high, high concept, and then you know, a few people were really gun ho about it and passionate about it and wanted to come in and, and develop it and write it together, and that eventually became the core team who are now you know like the the the, the managers, the, the community managers. So that's um, you know me, Melody, Shadi, and Lisa Kroger, and I encourage you all to follow them. They are amazing women and, and doing amazing things. Um. And uh, yeah, we, we developed this podcast. And somehow it got into the hands of CAA. And they wanted to shop it. Uh, so that was very cool. Um, and you know, sadly, the, you know, we're not necessarily anticipating anything exciting to happen with that because there have been a couple other stories that have now emerged in, in TV and new media that have similar concepts and similar themes. Um, you know, but either way, it was off our plate. And we wanted to do the next big thing. And that ended up being our film festival. And you know, what what a big thing because it went beyond our our community of, of immediate creators, right? And, and expand it to just the, the the broad wide community of, of, of women and non-binary horror creators. And we conceived that in January of 2021, and eight months later in August, it was streaming on shutter. Wow. <laughs> so that was a whirlwind, it was absolute whirlwind. Uh, it was a huge learning experience because we didn't know what we were doing, of course. We none of us had ever <laughs> run a film festival. Um, and it was a lot of work, but it was also really exciting and really fun. And we were just so amazed by, um, you know, the people who got on board behind us, not least of which, of course, was Shutter, but all of our partners, all of our judges. Um, we had an Oscar winner on our, ju- on our first jury last year, what? which was really exciting. Oh, like the, the second woman only to win the Oscar for best VFX. Uh, so that's Sarah Bennett. And she's been a huge supporter of ours. And so you might know her work from Ex Machina. That's what she won the Oscar for. Oh, she fantastic. also worked on Annihilation. She worked on Possessor. Um, so yeah, it was, it was just so phenomenal. So that was a big lesson for us, um, was learning, don't be afraid to ask, because you may just be surprised who says yes uh, to you and to your project. Don't be afraid to ask for things. Um, the other big lesson that we've learned this year in particular, and, and Kaya, sorry, is it okay if we swear on your podcast or not? Oh,
0: yeah. No, no. I mean, I, I have my roots in comedy, so anything about <laughs> um-
1: but another big lesson that we learned um, for th- this year going into planning and, and Mo specifically, I want to give credit to Mo for this and, and, and um, her relationship with her, with her lawyer, her rep, um, Tony Long, who's an amazing woman um, as well. Uh, if it's not a fuck yes, it's a hell no. Um, so that is something that we are learning and, and that is helping us really recognize and value and celebrate our worth. Um, as a collective, as a community, as creators, as women, and that if we are not getting a fuck yes from somebody, then fuck them. We're not bothering. We're moving on to the next person who is going to be as excited about our work and our projects as we
0: are. Yeah, that's that's huge to be able to next people who aren't your enthusiastic partners in believing. Is a I mean, that's a whole skill set in and of itself, isn't it? Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. And, and again, it's I just want to emphasize that none of this has happened overnight. Like these are all lessons that we have learned together over the past two years. And, you know, there are lessons that we are going to continue to learn, um, you know, and, and I, I, I think um, as, as women in particular and, and women of, quote, unquote, a certain age, because we're all in our 40s now, you know, trying to unlearn so many of the things that we were taught growing up. Um, it has, you know, just been a wild journey and adventure, and I'm so grateful that we can do it together because I, I think, you know, it, it, these are lessons that we're learning far more quickly um,
0: uh, undertaking them together than if we were going solo. Um, that is the beauty of a, of a community. You know, life is process, not product. And somewhere along the way, we got we have all gotten a little bit stuck and feeling like we well, have to deliver something done. And I think the beautiful thing about film and TV is you have all these team members. Yeah, you got to deliver your best, your best part. But you have all these team members around you who are helping hold that vision, who are reflecting for you where it can be better, and figuring it out along the way.
1: Absolutely, and and everybody brings their own strengths as as well. You know, just because um, you know, say, say I'm, I'm good at web design <laughs> something doesn't necessarily mean that I'm, I'm great at, um, you know, reaching out to partners or, or, whatever, but, you know, Melody is, um, you know, and Mo is very good at, at, at marketing and, um, you know, Lisa is very good at, um, you know, just writing in general and preparing a lot of copy and things like that um and so it's kind of identifying those strengths and and learning where you know we we need to support each other where we need to help each other to help us grow and and become better creators and, and hopefully better humans as well um but yeah <laughs> it's, it's been really really good and we're we're so excited for the things to come you know we we um just started this fellowship with Stowe Story Labs and uh, that's another thing that we're so proud of ourselves for. Cause again, it's it's like, okay, what's next? What's the next big thing? And what do we want to do? What are we passionate about? And, you know, as I mentioned just a moment ago, we're all in our forties and most of us have transitioned our careers as well. And, um, you know, women face so many challenges in the industry as a whole but especially in the genre space including the horror space but you know um, older women in particular face that challenge because so often in this industry and in a lot of industries to be frank you know our, our expiry date is is age 30 right or <laughs> it's ridiculous it is horrible. And we have it's- so much more to offer we have so many experiences you know to offer and and that are valuable And worthy. And so we said, well, we would love to do a fellowship for a woman who's age 40 and above. And we wanted to be smart about it, you know, uh, just because we didn't have the structure in place. And we knew we knew that putting that structure in place was gonna be a lot of time and work amidst all the other things that we were doing, not just through Nix, but our own projects. And so we, we identified partners that we could possibly reach out to and, and Stowe was always our first choice because they do have that structure in place. And David Rokia was just amazing and was so excited about it. And again, like, like that's that fuck yeah, or that hell no. Right. He mm. was an immediate fuck. Yeah. I love this. Oh. And, you know, um, has, Gracefully, you know, uh, let us use the Stowe structure for our fellowship, um, and you know, we all will be out um, at, in Stowe, Vermont, in June um, as part of the fellowship program. You know, we will be helping with that. We will be meeting with the fellowship um, uh, winner, um, and you know, doing panels and Q and As and mentoring and all that. So it's very very exciting and.
0: Yeah, (laughs) oh, we're so excited for you. Well, wow, I've just loved having you as a guest on the show. Thank you so much for being here. Before you go, would you share with the listeners, um, since we're recording this in March, what are some upcoming dates if they'd like to apply to your uh, to everything that you're doing, because you've got a lot of cool stuff happening? How do they find you? Oh, yes. Well, you can find me on Twitter
1: uh, at Kelly Lynn Krause. So K-E-L-L-Y-L-Y-N-N-K-R-A-U-S-E. That was long. Wow. Uh, And you can find uh, Nick's Horror Collective at Nick's Horror on Instagram and Twitter. Um, Our submission window for 13 minutes of horror is open. Until Wednesday, the 13th of April. So get those films in, ladies and non-binary folks. We would love to see what you got. And Shudder would love to see what you got. Um, The applications for the fellowship have closed, uh, sadly. But um, we will be back next year. And yeah, so keep an eye out.
0: Holly Krause, I can't wait to talk to you more about Egypt and making movies and all the things we love. Yay. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you, Kaya. This is wonderful.
0: Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Entertainment Business Wisdom. We invite you to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Please like, review, and share it with your friends and colleagues. Kaya Alexander can be reached on Twitter for your questions or comments at This Is Kaya. Get entertainment business career training as well as a free special report, How to Pitch Anything in One Minute, at www.entertainmentbusinessleague.com. Thank you.